0: other side of midnight with frank marano
1: is there a person that doesn't immediately know what this is the theme song to if you think about it how many tv programs can you instantly, with one or two chords, recognize the theme song? I suspect very few. But thus is the case with this particular show. And if there's any sort of a theme song that immediately puts you in the mood for something that's mind-expanding, mind-altering, something that may cause you to scratch your head, something that may cause you to think, something that may cause you to within look within your own self, or look at other dimensions whose limit are only those of the imagination it's the Twilight Zone a a show that would begin with a, a narrator who we would come to know, smoking a cigarette generally, saying something like this
0: You're traveling through another dimension A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, The Twilight
1: Zone. And then immediately uh, you would be prepared... For a half hour, except for one season, then it was an hour, of being amazed. Uh, Somebody that has uh, studied this, written about it, and seems to be one of the finest experts on anything resembling the Twilight Zone there is is uh, Dr. Don Presnell, the uh, director of the Common Reading Program and a senior lecturer at Appalachian State University. He's also the co-author of A Critical History of Television's The Twilight Zone from 1959 to 1964. Don, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know it's a tough hour.
0: No, thank you, uh, brother. This is This is awesome. Thank you for such an intro. This is I'm so excited. Thanks well, for reaching
1: out to me. Well, sure thing. Thank you. Hey, what um what sparked your interest in the Twilight Zone initially? What made you a fan of the series and what made you decide to devote so much of your work and your time to researching it and writing about it?
0: You know, I've I've thought about that a lot and um I can remember and this will date me a little bit, but I I can remember being in eighth grade language arts class once upon a time. And this was the days of even pre-VCR. This was like, uh, you know, the reel-to-reel projector, you know, that you had to thread up and all that good stuff. And, and uh, I remember the teacher showing us an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, um, an episode with no dialogue at all. And that really stuck with me. And uh, at the time, I probably didn't, well, I probably knew of The Twilight Zone, but I didn't know it in any real detail. And then I can't timestamp it exactly, but probably a few years later, again, this is pre, uh, you know, (laughs) pre-everything, when you got like three channels on the TV. Um, I'm pretty sure it was probably a late Saturday night or two. I'm sure. some some station ran the show uh, in varying degrees, and I I can remember the masks, a, a later episode I think from season five, and a really lesser known episode called a piano in the house, which is thematically, and you know it just it, it kind of stayed planted there for a really long time, and it, as fate would have it, I was working uh, at McFarland Publishing, uh, and the guy I shared an office with, we just you know during the day we would chat, and we, we had a shared passion for that show, and, you know, we pitched a proposal, and uh, they they took it, and so, you know, it really, it came out in 98. It's been a really long time since I wrote that particular book. I wrote a different book uh, last year, but we can talk about that. Sure,
1: I'll, I'll ask you about that as well. Um, what is, as far as you're concerned, what made The Twilight Zone Unique I mean there were anthology shows uh, that uh, that aired before that there have been shows that aired after that that kind of tried to mimic that format but what was it about that particular version of the original Twilight Zone that made it such a unique program
0: um i, I think one of the, the the biggest things is uh Serling had a had a had a vision and even he didn't know where it was going to go but First and foremost Rob Serling was a writer and and he wrote a lot in radio and he wrote a lot of uh, what we call golden age of television in the 50s a lot of there were a ton of television dramas in the 50s and he was he was he became one of the premier writers of those before twilight zone so he wasn't an overnight success like kind of people tend to imagine he he you know he put in the time and the grunt work and uh, you probably heard this phrase before about other shows it was a writer's show uh so he and what i call the big three the rod serling richard matheson charles beaumont wrote the lines, shared the episodes um later into the, the series a guy um uh, your your listeners i'm sure would were, were, were recognize as earl hamner jr creator and narrator of the waltons he uh he, he he contributed four or five episodes, um, not surprisingly, with a kind of a rural, uh, kind of a feel feel to them. But they they um, I don't know they, they they were they were lofty without trying to be lofty, you know. Like like oh my goodness, he he tackled uh, the show tackled, you know you know, time travel. Uh, racism hypocrisy the threat of nuclear war right there in the middle you know right around you know um the cuban missile crisis of all things and mm. uh, it just you know it just treat it, the, the anthology format too can't can't be uh, uh overstated because it'll it gives you a certain freedom where a, a a continuous narrative you know um just just wouldn't allow you to do that and, S- and serling was a big social critic, and and that just has so many shades of meaning that are different. Sure. <laughs> Today in the Twitter age, you know, it was nothing like that. I mean, he, he really ha- was heartfelt about a lot of things, and and he wrote about it, and he wanted to make change, and and it was from the heart, I guess. He he didn't do anything to please an audience or a sponsor. As a matter of fact, the more you learn about the Twilight Zone, uh, the more you realize Rod Serling couldn't stand sponsors, because... They kind of had more power than he thought they should mm.
1: have. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. The um, when you when you talk about uh, comparing the Twilight Zone to other anthology series, I, I think one of the other better known ones is probably the Outer Limits. But there were uh, a bunch of others. What separated the Twilight Zone was it that was it that the uh, commentary that uh, Rod Serling was injecting into the uh, the episodes uh, was it unique in that instance or was it something else what made it different from say the outer limits
0: i I think you're right on it you know outer limits was a lot more like sci-fi genre and there's nothing wrong with that right but it was genre specific uh another piece i i get tickled sometimes because people people ask like yeah you remember that episode with the uh you know the giant mad eating octopus or i don't know just something like that and i you know and i'll say that wasn't the twilight right yeah Uh, No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was either Alfred Hitchcock presents uh, the Outer Limits, or the Boris Karloff Karloff horror kind of anthology called Thriller. But, but, but it's kind of it's almost like a Trojan horse. Like, like, like the show didn't come out and say, "Hey, we're going to talk about you know uh, discrimination or something like that." It presented, you know, like one of my favorites is uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. I mean, if you pinned me down and said. What was one of your favorites? Was a representative Twilight Zone, I would say that one.
1: Oh, I I love that one, too, and um, that is a just a classic, and I think the, the ending narration by Rod Serling in that episode really sums up the whole series in 37 seconds better than almost any episode there is.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Yes, I didn't Tool realize... You were... and the tools um, of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices... ...to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill... ...and suspicion can destroy. And a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat... ...has a fallout all of its own. For the children, and the children yet unborn. And the pity of it is... ...that these things cannot be confined... To the Twilight Zone
1: uh, talking with Don Presnell he's the uh, author the co-author of the book a critical history of televisions the Twilight Zone uh, Don remind us what was Rod Serling doing before the Twilight Zone where was he writing what was he doing professionally
0: earlier he was he was uh, he saw action in uh, World War two and if you read any of the biographies there are two older biographies and there's one that came out two or three years ago that I haven't gotten around to but I've, I've just about guarantee he would cover this as well. He he saw some like really, really horrible stuff, uh, like well-known documented stuff in, in World War II. So that you'll see a lot of that come through some of his, uh, you know, uh, 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 more charged, I guess we'd say, episodes. And I'm pretty sure he was writing radio dramas for a while. Maybe even uh, in Cincinnati. I'm wanting to say he's from mm. like New York but somehow I think he ended up, you know, uh, doing radio dramas, and he kind of cut his teeth on that. And then in the 50s, uh, like I said, he and, uh, like, uh, Patty Chayefsky and I forget some of the other, Reginald Rose maybe, some other writers in the 50s were just grinding out these uh, these uh, dramas, uh, you know, Playhouse 90, Desilu Playhouse, and, man, they were the rage. And I, he won a handful of Emmys for those before he even, you know, Uh, thought of the
1: twilight and um obviously the the season of the five that certainly stands out is season four that's the only one that uh, has hour-long episodes instead of 30-minute episodes a lot of the episodes look a little bit different and uh, they don't kind of fit with the rest of the series Uh, let me ask you the question i so often get when discussing the show what happened with season four why was season four different from the others
0: well, if you, if you kind of take a step back, there's kind of a two – I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it. It's kind of a two-part thing. <laughs> so uh, if you look back to, I think it was season two, uh, and this is another reason that thing that drove Serling crazy, you know, networks being corporate entities and that type of thing, they're like, hey, we need to save money. So in season two, you'll see a small batch of episodes that, that you know, look like somebody just turned on a big clunky camera and – followed the actors around in, in a single room and that's pretty much literally what it was it was shot on like videotape like it totally doesn't have that beautiful classic you know uh black and white it's still black and white but it just doesn't have that beautiful uh look to it you know however one or two of those still works amazingly uh and it actually helps those some of those particular episodes but you know that's always a concern, you know corporate sponsorship and, and we gotta save money and that type of thing and as the series moves on and Serling kind of you know encounters and you know kind of fights battles, so to speak he gets he gets kind of tired and and you know he probably loses a little more interest may, maybe more in the last season than any but certainly that frustration and maybe lack of interest maybe started to creep in on season four. And I don't remember the exact reason, but I'd be just about sure that 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 would still be a part of it, that the network was wanting to monkey around with things and and change it up a little bit.
1: And let's talk about season five. I've read, and I learned this actually from your book, that it was poised to be canceled going into season five. It was uh, saved at at the last minute. It was on some uncertainty whether Rod Serling was going to come back. What was the -the behind-the-scenes drama going into season five, Don?
0: Um like i said I hate to repeat myself but i I really think he was just kind of you know kind of kind of losing steam now now you know you and you don't want to make light of it. he died really young, he died like age forty nine or something like that, smoked like a freight train didn't really take take care of himself at all and if you if you look at the output of the hundred and fifty six episodes he he wrote like Ninety some. I mean, it's crazy. You can't even imagine the stamina it would t- it would take to write them, let alone write really really good stories. And so I I think I think he was just I think he was just tired, you know. Um, and, and you you'll see this in any series, no matter what it is. You'll see in later, uh, the longer a series runs, inevitably. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they start running out of ideas, but for lack of a better phrase, they start running out of ideas, and so you'll you'll start seeing a little bit kind of re, of a return, you know, and that ser- certainly happens in this case um, with the twilight zone. And
1: Rod Serling, although he did die young, he did work after The Twilight Zone. I know he did The, the uh, Night Gallery, which was a, a terrific show, very similar to The Twilight Zone in a lot of respects, although it was in color and, um, you know, a little bit more of a grittier, darker story from time to time. Did Rod Serling do anything else after The Twilight Zone that uh, that you found to be noteworthy?
0: What a coincidence! I am glad you asked that because it, this this is in the category of things you can't make up. So so, Twilight Zone goes off the air in 1964. The very next year on CBS, and some of you older viewers may have heard about this. The rest, everybody else will be like, "I have never heard of that. That sounds really weird or interesting." And it's both. He did a a, a western. You kidding? <laughs> And it was Lloyd Bridges, Jeff Bridges' dad. And it was called The Loner. And it only lasted one season. And you, you, you can imagine why. You know, uh, you're just coming out of the the heyday of the Westerns. There were like scads of Westerns on the air. And at, at this time, around 65, you know, Bonanza's still around and, and uh, Gunsmoke and that type of thing. But for the most part, the the really big swell of Westerns is has gone away so that that worked against it and and, and you know what's going to happen Serling wants to make some really strong thematic statements just like he did in Twilight Zone and you know a, a lot not, not me I'd love that but a lot of viewers like what is this we don't want this we want shootings and you know that kind of stuff and so it, it, it only lasted a season. But yeah, yeah it's, I, I it's,
1: can't believe I didn't know about that. I'm a big uh, Lloyd Bridges fan as well, and uh, certainly a Rod Serling fan. Uh, I, 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 Even though it sounds like the show was a little lackluster, I definitely am going to have to try and find a way to um, check that out. Talking with Don Presnell, author of A Critical History of Television's The Twilight Zone, 1959 to 1964. It is interesting, Don, that you specify the years In the book title, there have been three other versions of The Twilight Zone. You had that version that aired in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, then another version that aired in the early 2000s on UPN 9, and then another version that aired just a couple of years ago on the uh, Paramount Network uh, hosted by Jordan Peele. I'm sure you've watched at least episodes from all three of those other series. How do you think those three other series, those other three versions of The Twilight Zone, stack up?
0: Well, I, Frank, at the risk of embarrassing myself, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I really haven't. I know a lot really? about them. Really? Wow. I've just never taken that dive. I mean, the temptation was there when I, when I did The Twilight Zone book, but obviously I was like, you know, I want to focus on what I know. uh I know the 80s, um, while, while generally dismissed, in retrospect, it's one of those that with time, I think people are starting to kind of have a little more respect for as time goes on. Uh, you can see, um, I think, Bruce, a really young Bruce, pre-moonlighting Bruce Willis, makes a, a, an appearance in the 80s version. Um, and I think the 80s version... Was smart enough to only and I can't remember which episode it was, but they they only like did a a remake of a previous episode like like maybe once or no right, more than that. Two. was
1: rare, yeah, yeah. I think it was the episode uh, a game of pool that they did kind of a remake of. In, in terms of um, you know the, the Twilight Zone, one of the constant themes is we saw and this is before Star Trek, this is before we even went to the moon, but we saw so many episodes dealing with. Space, space travel, the loneliness of space travel, the different cultures that you might uh, encounter on other planets, aliens coming to this planet. For instance, the episode Elegy. To peace, my friends. To everlasting, eternal peace. Uh, Space was a, a big theme on The Twilight Zone, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Yes, and that's great you picked that. That's a Charles Beaumont episode and it's it's really creepy too. <laughs> it just I don't want to give anything away to to your listeners, but yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah, it, you know, one of the cool things just on a surface level about the show is is I call it like a like a a time capsule feature, you know? You you can look back and see you, you know, you you can pick up on what was culturally in the moment at that time. And like you said, we're 10 years away uh uh from the moon moon landing and all that stuff so it's really neat to see that but you know when it all gets down to it um you know it's about t- two big super home run themes of the series are you know alienation and uh self identity or loss of that identity and 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 fear and i know those are broad but i think maybe uh going back to one of your earlier questions i think that, i think that's why it works because the themes are so universal, in a in a non right. um, English class kind of way that, that people kind of relate to it. No matter no matter if you're seeing rotary phones or pay phones on the screen, you, you still you still relate to that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would certainly agree. Uh, there are. Obviously, all the episodes of The Twilight Zone generally have some sort of a, a twist where, you know, the big ending, there's a big reveal where we learn something about one of the characters or the story or something. Do the Once you've seen that episode, though, once you know the twist, once you know it's a cookbook, once you know the faces of the pig people, for instance— do the episodes rerun well, in your view? Certainly a show like Seinfeld, um, you know, the you could watch the episodes a thousand times and the jokes are still funny. A show that's generally a bit less comedic but, result, but re- relies on those twists at the end, like The Twilight Zone, can you watch an episode of The Twilight Zone repeatedly and still get something out of it?
0: I would argue for the most part, yes. Uh, for those same reasons. You know, it's like when you have a favorite movie and, you, you know, whoever you're watching it with is just astounded that you can quote the whole thing <laughs> and you know what's coming and that, and that kind of thing. Uh, for instance, uh, when, you know, when I do my Twilight Zone iteration of first-year seminar here at Appalachian State, um, I, the pilot episode, where is everybody? You, usually pilot episodes for any series... In retrospect, are kind of clunky, and they're still trying to figure things out. Not in this one. It, it, it's one of the top ten episodes for me, and I see something new in it every time. Really?
1: Really? There were a number of terrific actors that starred in The Twilight Zone before superstardom Uh, obviously William Shatner is in two terrific episodes Robert Duvall is in a great episode Robert Redford is in a great episode Dennis Hopper is in a great episode as far as actors that became stars later on other than the ones that I just mentioned is there anybody that specifically stands out in your brain
0: oh goodness um well Wow. Uh, well, there's one, but it doesn't really like it's not really a uh, a like you know it's not his fault. It's just it is what it is. But a, a really young Burt Reynolds is in a season four episode called "The Bard," where where Shakespeare. Oh kinda.
1: yeah, I had forgotten that he was in that.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of a it's kind it's kind of a not too veiled take on Marlon Brando. As <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that
1: uh, that is very funny. I'm gonna have to rewatch that uh, that episode that that episode is one of the few Twilight Zone episodes that is uncharacteristically funny. Most of the other episodes are dramatic or they're dark. There's a handful that are uh, pretty funny. That's one. What's another episode or two that uh, is a much funnier version of the Twilight Zone than we generally hear?
0: Yeah. um, Let's see. Gosh, I'm sorry. It's been a while since I've looked at all the titles. Um, There's a... There's an episode, I think it's season 1, um and it's a baseball episode. And it's about a a pitcher named Casey, I believe it is. Oh yeah,
1: that's with uh Jack Warden.
0: Jack Warden. Yeah, yeah, Frank, you're awesome. Well,
1: no, I don't know about that. But oh, okay. but Yeah, but now that <laughs> yeah. is funny.
0: And uh you know, it, it it has play it actually plays in with that theme of technology and of course it's the time capsule thing again, right? At that time, and baseball is my favorite sport. That's another reason I Same.
1: love that No, 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 absolutely. I'm with you on that. Hey, uh, this might be a a, a a difficult question or an unfair question, but if you had to pick your least favorite episode of The Twilight Zone, what would it be? <laughs>
0: um, you know, um, I'm going to... Lightly defer. Let me let me tell you what it used to be, and and, and it probably I need to go back because it's been a really long time since I've seen it. Uh, but I know when I was doing the book, I remember I remember watching the very last episode. It was called the Bewitching Pool, and I, I I referred to this earlier. It was written by Earl Hamner Jr. You know, and I I can't remember the particulars. I just thought this isn't really that good. <laughs> But, you know, I'd have to go back because I actually had a student or two a few years ago. They're like, oh, that's my favorite. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, so, um, I, I would say that one on the spot, but I've got a feeling if I went back and watched that one, it's probably not as bad as I remember. And I'm I'm really, I'm glancing at the appendix from my book here to see if anything jumps out at me. That That's the only one I can really come up with. Like I tell my students, I was like, listen, even, even a bad Twilight Zone is better than than what you'll get from a lot of other
1: TV—that's for sure. Hey, is there any truth to the rumor that the original choice to be the narrator on the show was not Rod Serling but Orson Welles?
0: You know, I can't remember. I can—I can tell you this though, um, and you can see this on like a DVD and Blu-ray sets. He—he um, he was not going to be the narrator. Period. They, they, they've got another version of the pilot where the in, where the intro is spoken by by a by a, a booming voice actor type, and his name hmm. escapes me right now. So you you can actually see that on on one of the really.
1: Movies. I'm going to have to check that one out. Hey, uh, this has been a lot of fun, Don. Uh, I hope we can chat again soon. I appreciate it very much. And if uh, people want to check out either this book or your new book, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Um, well, the easiest is to. Go to Amazon, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hawk my books here. But if you you can go to drdonp.com. I've, it's a blog that I really need to do more work on. Uh, but it does have a page of the books I've written, which is this one last year, a book I wrote about the classic, The Wild, Wild West, which was my other all-time book.
1: Terrific. Uh, terrific. Tom, thanks a lot.
0: Thank you, Frank. Thank you so much. Hey, what, what, what a nice surprise. Hey, have a great
1: The pleasure's all mine. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Uh, If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. My name
0: is Talkie Tina. And you'd better be nice to me. The Other Side of Midnight.